This is Jonathan Pepper, and I'm listening to Culture Matters. Build your cultural competence. Listen to interesting stories. Learn about the cultural fails and how to avoid them. Get the global perspective here at Culture Matters on International Business. Your host, Chris Smith, has a plan. A plan for people who are looking for a solution. He makes you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences. Every episode, he interviews a prominent guest who will tell you his or her story and share international experiences, making you more cultural competent. And now, here's your host, Chris Smith. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. My name is Chris Smith, and you're listening to the Culture Matters Podcast. We are on episode number 111, that is 111th episode of the Culture Matters Podcast. If you haven't subscribed yet, then this is the perfect moment to do so. Just pause this playback and go to iTunes and do subscribe to this podcast. Our guest for this week is John Pepper, or Jonathan Pepper. John Pepper from Digit Motorbikes in Vietnam. He's an up-and-coming entrepreneur from a game server business at 15 years old to a hostel business in Vietnam at 22 years old and now Tigit Motorbikes and he's only 29 years old. Tigit Motorbikes has three main offices across Vietnam. It's self, it started self-funded from $200 and the purchase of one motorbike to what is now a million-dollar business with over 350 motorbikes. Let's get right to the interview. It's time for this week's guest at Culture Matters. Hi, John. Good morning, uh, or good afternoon, or good evening. Um, I have a vague idea where you are, and if I think in the background, do I hear a train correctly? A train? No, it's a, it's a printer in an ah. office. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. All right, well, um, we have you, John, uh, as a guest, John Pepper, as a, as a guest for this, uh, this podcast number uh, 111. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, um, where you come from originally, where you currently are, and what you would consider your so-called cultural frame of reference? Okay, uh, I'm 29 years old, and I'm from England, uh, about an hour from London. And I'm currently in Vietnam, where I've been living probably maybe around nine years now. And I've traveled quite a bit of the world and run various businesses, some of which have failed, but the one I'm currently doing has been very, very successful. Uh-huh. Uh, in terms of my culture, or my, my frame of mind is just a very relaxed kind of person and happy to be where I am at all times. Okay, so that means where, you're, where, you're, where you lay your hat, that's where you, that's where you are at home. Yes, yeah. Pretty, pretty much. You said you've, um, you're from England. That means you're not from Scotland and not from Wales. Um, and yeah, you, from you England. Would, you would not call yourself from the UK? Uh, no, I would say England. <laughs> okay, well, that's fair enough. Yeah, I mean, you, there's a tournament where uh, Scotland and England actually have two, um, two uh, soccer uh, uh, gay, uh, parties as well. So, um, You said you've lived in a couple of countries. Which countries have you lived I did a, a year in South Korea uh-huh. uh, where I was a teacher and I traveled Africa doing a bit of work as well for about six months. So I was traveling slowly at that time through Africa. Okay. And um, you, you mentioned your age as well, 29. What's, 
what what what's on your mind when you leave uh, uh, the UK or England uh, at a, well relatively young age, I guess? Yeah, it's straight after university. Um, well, I have family all over the world, and I'm a very I was an introvert, a computer nerd, really. Uh-huh. And my parents pushed me out the door to go discover the world uh, <laughs> and grow as a person, really. So. Uh, once I arrived in Africa, which was my first major travels, I just realized that I loved it. And over time, that England was not the place for me. Mm-hmm. It turns out, I've, it took me a long time to figure this out, but it, a lot of it's down to the weather. And I like hot weather and I perform okay. well when it's hot. Uh, England is just too cold for me. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's there's there's a TV program uh, in, uh, and I'm not, I'm not sure if there's a, a, a British or maybe American equivalent, uh, which is airs in the Netherlands. Uh, and uh-huh. it's, it's called literally translated. It's like I I am leaving, and they're leaving the Netherlands, and they're emigrating to another country. Usually, it's a, it's a, remains in uh, Europe, but more south. And one of the prime reasons these people give is indeed because of the weather. Because I mean, UK weather uh, and and Dutch Belgian weather is very comparable. And um, I've always thought that that would be like such a shallow reason to leave your country. But <laughs> is, is, am I am I the only one thinking that, or have you heard that this argument before? I've never heard anyone else have an argument for the weather, actually. But I think people do perform in in different climates, and you can see it uh, with the way cultures are. Uh-huh. Certain countries tend to, uh, hotter countries. I'd say generally the people are more outgoing and friendly, and the colder countries. People are more reserved, uh, generally speaking. Mm, okay. And, and, uh, uh, yeah. Go ahead. So yeah, I think the weather has an impact, and certain people perform better in certain climates. Yeah, I guess I guess that's true. I mean, I could I could underwrite the idea of uh, preferring a, a warmer climate over <laughs> a, a rainy climate. And as a matter of fact, I mean, we're recording this on the third of December, uh, twenty eighteen, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm looking out of the window, and I only see clouds. There's a bit of blue. Uh, but a lot of clouds, and it's uh, it's been a, a, the last two days have been miserable with a lot of rain, drizzle rain. You know, it really that makes you really sad. So um, I can very much uh, uh, agree with the, with the statement of, of going there and um, mm-hmm. performing a warmer climate. Which, which part of Africa did you land first? As uh, Zimbabwe, Zimbabwe at the time, which okay. was a pretty random place to land. I, I guess for the first so. travels. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there any particular place that you enjoyed more in Africa? Because that's a big continent as well. Uh, yeah, I love Tanzania. It's spectacularly beautiful, and I'd love to go back there uh, now with my now family and daughter to travel it and just just show them mm-hmm. how amazingly beautiful Tanzania is. Okay, and are you are you referring to the wildlife, uh, the people, uh, anything else? The, la- the landscape, uh, and obviously the wildlife. There's a, there's a lot of wildlife there, mm-hmm. but just the landscape. It it's hard to put a finger on it. Vietnam has a similar landscape, very very green, yeah. uh, a lot of hills, but. Just the, the way that Tanzania is in my mind was just stood out to be so beautiful. Okay, that's a that's a nice compliment for the country. And then, you, so you started in Africa, and then you hopped to South Korea. What? How does that work? Uh, I think after uh, my memory's hazy, but after Africa, I actually went to Australia. Okay. Uh, where I travelled a little bit and didn't like it, <laughs> and then I I went home to get a real job. Mm. And I decided that was when I really, when I went back after all the travels, I, I don't want to be in England. So I went to get a teaching job in South Korea. It just seemed like a good thing to do. Um, was that teaching English? Uh, yeah, teaching English. But the reason I chose South Korea was because I, I liked computer games, uh, StarCraft, and the South Koreans are very famous for it. Uh, for this StarCraft? It doesn't ring a bell for it's, me, but, but uh, okay, I guess. Yeah. 
they're, they're famous for online gaming, or they, they certainly used to be. Uh, not so much anymore. <laughs> okay, fair enough. And then, um, and you're currently in Vietnam. There's nothing between South Korea and Vietnam. There's nothing in between. Um, no, I went backwards and forth. Oh yeah, I went to China for a little bit, very briefly, mm-hmm. and then backwards and forwards between England and Vietnam before I ended up just staying here. Okay. Um, but Vietnam has always been a country that when I first arrived, I just instantly loved it. Uh-huh. And then I left for a couple of years, and I remember always just thinking about Vietnam. Uh, and my friends at the time would say, don't go back to Vietnam, leave it as a memory. If you go back there, it won't be that same amazing memory mm-hmm. that you remember it was. So that, that delayed my return here for a long time. And then when I did come back, it was the same memory, and I just still love it today same feeling so that's not always something you need to go by um you you mentioned also uh because i want to talk about your current successful business which is in motorbikes uh you mentioned you had some um uh, some uh businesses that were not so successful would you mind sharing with us what that was yeah sure um it's always good to fail and learn from your failures Uh uh (laughs) Uh, when i was 15 uh the online game game server company and in the end, that went downhill because it overexpanded too quickly. Basically, I had too many customers and not enough resources to deal with those customers, so it collapsed, just caved in. Okay. Uh, the second business was in Vietnam running a hotel with a friend, which I did for a year, and that one broke even. So it, it didn't lose money, but it didn't make money. And after a year, uh, I realized we couldn't make money from it, so I needed to stop. Okay. And then now my third one was the motorbike business in Vietnam. It's um, you have it's, it seems to be very diverse, but the the red threat seems to be Vietnam. Um, yeah, yeah. In in your in your your I mean you're you're British born and raised, right? Or English born and yeah. raised. So it's it's hard to take these norms and values out of you, even though you can take yourself out of your own country. Um, if you, I mean, what, what cultural differences have you experienced that you um, I mean, either in a positive way or in a in, in a somewhat more challenging way, uh, had to deal with in your travels, say in in Africa, but also South Korea, and now being in Vietnam. Well, it's obviously generalizing, but in yeah. Africa, you you learn that you need to get things done yourself. No one is going to help you. You're on your own, mm-hmm. uh, and you have that threat of being in places that are potentially not safe. Uh, so that that makes you grow up quickly, put it that way, and to be careful and look after your belongings, all of that sort of stuff. Uh-huh. Um, and then in in South Korea, you learn how to work long hours. The South Koreans work and they work and they work and they work, mm-hmm. and that is a reason why I I didn't like it. I felt it was far too robotic. They lived in the same houses. They had the same method of working. They worked yeah. long hours, but they yeah. didn't work productively, in my opinion. Okay. And then when I came to Vietnam, again, I just love it. Everyone's very relaxed here, very outgoing, incredibly smart, smart in a cheeky way, where (laughs) they will get work done quickly, efficiently, but also very lazily. Uh, And that's my style. Do it the quickest and easiest and laziest way you can, but also the best way you can. Right. And does does that does that not um, clash? I mean, the 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 Vietnamese way of working versus your well your upbringing in terms of working. No, I've always been. I think I've, I've been very lazy. It's why I'm a, a good entrepreneur because uh, entrepreneur you've got to delegate, and the whole point of delegating is you make someone else do the work for you. 
Yeah. <laughs> and then if you're not doing the work yourself, but you're controlling the work, then you're likely to make money because you can delegate lots of different little jobs to other people. Right. Uh, and so that's uh, that's it works well for me in Vienna. Uh, the, the delegating and just the whole relaxed way of life. Okay. All right. So not not the not the rushed way that we do in the West here normally generally. No, no. Mm. It's it's all family oriented here. Family comes first. Yeah. And is a it's a backdrop. Uh, to release pressure is to know that you can rely on your family. Mm -hmm. Whereas in the West, we are pushed out the door and told you need to go earn your own your own way in life. Uh, and there's not a lot of back backup if you fail. True. That's that's the way we we we're taught anyway. Although most uh, most occasions, I think families do bail you out. But you were told that you're not going to be bailed out. You need to go earn your own way in life. Being anti opposite. If you're failing in life, your family will save you. <laughs> and, and that's something that's appealing to you. I wouldn't say it's appealing to me, but it's an interesting way to have a relaxed style of life mm. and to and to be more carefree and be family focused, which in turn makes people happy. Yeah. If you have your family around you, you're likely to be happy. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's a different way of uh, of life and a different way of looking at life, I, I think, as well. Um, you you said you started when you were um, 15. You said online gaming. 15, yeah, was okay. my first project. Okay, so uh, online gaming, hotels, and now motorbikes. Um, yes. Am I correct in saying Tidget motorbikes? Yeah, that's right. Okay, so how, how? that's quite different. I mean, how do you end up doing dealing in motorbikes? Because uh, <laughs> this is your successful business at this moment, right? Yes, yeah. Uh, it's done well, and it will probably be the rest of my life, I imagine. Uh -huh. um, but how do I do that? Uh well, I, as a kid, we lived on a farm. We ride horses. Mm -hmm. And uh, it turns out horses are quite similar to motorbikes. And after the Top Gear Vietnam special, it's a TV show where they rode motorbikes from Saigon to the north, doing what the Americans failed to do, is the way uh, they put it in the show. Okay. Uh, it became very famous for backpackers to come here and buy a motorbike in Saigon and drive it to the north and then sell it. So what I did is I started test driving bikes and just buying and selling them. And it turned out I was better at test driving bikes than the locals. So my product was better uh -huh. and I built myself up a reputation from there. Uh -huh. uh, and then so one bike that has led to many, many bikes uh, just through buying and selling basically. But we're now a rental company, not a buy-sell shop. But okay. It's changed a bit. All right, because you, you in your introduction we could have heard um, that you're it's self you self funded from two hundred dollars, yes, and the purchase of one motorbike to what is now a million dollar business with over three hundred and fifty motorbikes. But that's the rental business, I guess. Yeah, it, it changed. You know, the, the industry's changed. Uh, Vietnam's a rapidly changing country, so it's changed from the concept of buy and sell a motorbike to renting a motorbike. It's a similar idea, but slightly different. It's, I mean, who is is that your change, or is that the, the change of the people? They don't own motorbikes anymore; they rent them. I would say Ticket, uh, our company, probably pioneered the idea. Uh, the reason it changed is because. So the Top Gear show that made all of this happen, they buy very cheap old bikes and, and the show is based around them laughing at each other, breaking down through the country. Uh -huh. uh, so in the old days, four or five years ago, people would buy and sell very, very cheap bikes and they would break down and, and that's what they do. But these days you have a lot more backpackers coming through who just want a motorbike that's going to work. Right. So now you invest a lot of money in a proper bike and rather than buy and sell it, you rent that bike 
uh, to a backpacker for a period of time, very similar to a car rental, really. Okay, yeah, yeah, but then there's only one drop-off point. I mean, pickup and drop-off is the same then. Uh, no, we we have three offices across Vietnam, uh, in the south, in the middle, and in the north. So you can take a bike from the south and drop it in the north. If we have too many bikes in one city, we'll send them on a truck to another city. Right. So we move bikes around by truck. That's uh, it's quite an operation. Just to get to for for the audience and for myself to get a, a sense of uh, of distances as well from the south to the mm. north or vice versa. How long? How how much kilometers would that be uh, or miles? And it's uh, it's around two thousand kilometers. And yeah. um, a normal backpacker on holiday here will take twenty to twenty five days doing that. Um, if you drive every day all day, so it's about eight hours a day. Yeah, uh, it would take you ten days to do. So it's quite a long way. Yeah. Okay, and uh, um, ten days maximum, and then twenty-four, uh, twenty-eight days if you do it more leisurely. Is yeah, it, tw- ten days minimum okay. if you really, really drive. Yeah, is that a safe, a safe? Is, is it just one road that you that everybody follows, like like Route sixty-six or something? No, no, that's that's part of the uh, the game. Is this such a beautiful country that there's so many routes that you can do, and um, the good companies will uh, provide the good routes and the. The bad companies won't know where the good routes are. It's a bit like a ski resort. You, you can come back here many times, and there's different runs you can do. Okay. All right. Well, that sounds that sounds interesting. Um, you you mentioned earlier as well when you were talking about Vietnam uh, in this TV show that it's something that we can do, but something that the Americans couldn't do. What was that again? <laughs> it's a reference in the in the show. That I think it goes like this. We're going to go to Vietnam and travel from Saigon to Hanoi on motorbikes. Something that we can do, but the Americans failed to do. Right. Okay. Okay. Right. Yeah. With a, <laughs> it's with a joke. A, yeah. Joke, and with, with, with a big blink. Is there any um, uh, different attitude towards Americans or Westerns? Has that has that changed, or is that positive or neutral? Or uh, no, the, the Vietnamese love Western culture, and I would say all of the war and the American. Uh, stuff is is very very much being buried there's no anti-american vibe here especially in the south as you go north mm-hmm. it will creep in a little bit very slightly you can notice a, a slight change in the behavior towards foreigners and americans and, uh, but basically it's very open and, and i would say all of that's gone if you came to vietnam today you would never know that there's a war that happened relatively recently right yes and and how how do you how, how does a difference manifest it manifest itself well, how did that happen? From, from the south to the north. I mean, how do, how do you see the difference? Uh, the, the locals get more reserved. Uh-huh. And if you go very north, they can be a little bit, little bit more hostile uh, towards foreigners. And it's something I don't know because I'm not American. But Americans say that they, they like to not reveal where they're from. Yeah. Uh, so you get the stories from them. Whether it's true or not is, is another question, but I don't know. I, I don't see anything myself. No, 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 no. Okay. I've heard many Americans indeed claiming that they were Canadian in, in countries like that. Because <laughs> yeah. the accent is more or less the same and, um, and it's easy. It's a, it's a better, better uh, uh, name or country to mention than the United States. Um, for sure. <laughs> as, as such, yes. Um, motorbikes for the rest of your life, you said. Uh, is there any development in in that as well? Because what I, I I've never been. I've been to the Far East, but never to Vietnam. Um, what I what I envision are like streets and streets full of these uh, two-stroke uh, fuming uh, motorbikes. Am I uh, way off? 
Uh, you're, you're close with the streets and streets full of them, but they're they're not two strokes. They're little four-stroke bikes. Um, I think the Honda Cup might ring bells. It's known as the Wheels of Asia. So they're they're bikes basically based around the Honda Cup, but more modern. Uh-huh. But there is a lot of them. Uh, I'm not sure what the exact number is, but millions upon millions of scooters going around the city. Is there any um, uh, because here in the West, I mean, we're 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 trying to get more concerned about the um, uh, the environment. Is there any concern about mm. that there in Vietnam? There is talks that that go on to the Vietnamese news every now and again. There, there were talks about a year ago that they're going to ban motorbikes in uh, Hanoi in a in a certain area, but mm. it's never going it's never going to happen. It's a motorbike country, and I think it will stay that way. Mm. Uh, terms of the environment. Again, they they talk about it, but it they're so far they've got so many problems to fix before before right. uh, fixing the motorbike and pollution in general. It's just they need to fix the trash problem first. <laughs> okay, so, so how what what would be the biggest problem that Vietnam needs to fix then, according to you? From, from a traveler's perspective, and if you're a tourist here, every single tourist will notice that Vietnam is full of trash. The beaches have been just there's just litter everywhere. Right. Uh, and it's not being cleaned up and it's just ruining the landscape and it's, it's a big shame because Vietnam's a coastal country beautiful beaches mm-hmm. you're going along and it's just plastic bottles absolutely everywhere mm. and it's a it's a huge problem and even there's just no education uh, to the locals to stop throwing trash around and there's no clean up method either right yeah it's that education bit again it starts it all starts with, and it just keeps starting with education everything starts with education indeed yeah yeah True. And uh, it's Vietnamese, uh, again, it's back to this family culture, uh, which is amazing. But what they do is they go their whole family out, out to the beach or a waterfall and they have these enormous family picnics, which creates a lot of trash yeah. uh, in one go and they don't clean it up. That means, I mean, how, how, how enormous is enormous? Well, you have 12, 15, 20 family members having right. a picnic. Uh, you can imagine what that's like. And you have that happening every day. No one cleaning up the trash, no bins. It gets pretty bad pretty quick. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's... Uh, there's a there's a blog, uh, Vietnam Coracle, uh, who all of the motorbikers will follow his routes, and he writes culture stuff uh, about Vietnam. And in a lot of his blog articles, you can see his rants creeping in about the trash problem. Right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's a it's a it's a common issue, I guess. I mean, no doubt you've heard of um, uh, of uh, the the president of the Philippines closing off a whole island in order to um, to clean it up. Is that is there any chance that something like that is going to happen in Vietnam? Certainly not in the near future. No. No. <laughs> would, would it be an answer? Uh, I don't. Well, it might be a quick fix, but the answer is education. Right. Uh, it's got to got to start now, and it's going to be many years to change it. Okay. Um, uh, and also, also they need to have fines because the policemen just sit around doing nothing here. Um, and what they need to do is fine people heavily for throwing cigarettes and trash around. Right. And they can do it. Now, I, I, I would, I would assume, but maybe I'm totally wrong, that you would, you, you are not into throwing garbage uh, everywhere around like maybe the local people do because they're they're just not educated about it. Doesn't that is that true or not? Before I ask my question. Well, it's not all locals. It's it's mostly the countryside, unfortunately. But but yes, uh, I think I think most most travelers these days, travelers and expats, are aware of trash and, and not to throw it around in the landscapes that we're in. Hmm. Okay, and and um, 
I forgot what I, was, I had a question. I know it doesn't that yeah that doesn't that um, uh, cause some friction with you when you see all that? I mean that's this is not where this is not how you were raised. Doesn't that frustrate? <laughs> well, I think I think that's where it comes back to understanding different cultures and just mm -hmm. and being a relaxed person. It's right. a different parts of the world. They have a different way of doing things. A lot of it's better than what we do a lot of it's worse than what we do yeah it's not my country and it's not my position I, I can I can try and fix it and tell people not to do that but at the end of the day it's not my place to do to look down on them until they fix it themselves which they will it's just time yeah it'll take time yeah. and so I'm relaxed for that I, I hope it happens but yeah, I can imagine that a lot of people uh, uh, would be frustrated indeed. And typically, if, if you're—I mean, if you live there and you've lived there for, like you said, nine years, then you—it's maybe something you won't get used to per se. But um, like you said, you see more aspects of life. And if you're a tourist and you're only there for two weeks or a month or something like that, and I think it might jump more in your face seeing well, seeing I, these kind of things. I find it sad. I mean, obviously from an environmental point of view, but also from an opportunity point of view, you can see, uh, let's say. A countryside village it's in a beautiful area and they haven't got much money and I sit there and think if you would just clean up your house you yeah. could make an amazing coffee shop and you would have tourists here and you would be making money and yeah. if only you knew to just clean up your house uh, that sort of stuff <laughs> yeah so and you see that and, and still I mean after nine years that's still a thought that runs through your mind all of the time, there's so much missed opportunity here from very basic fixes that could make people a lot of money and improve the surroundings for themselves and the other people around them. Why don't you do that then? Why don't you open that coffee shop? Uh, I've got enough to do in Saigon. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I mean, you know, when I retire, for sure, if I want to spend my life in the countryside, uh, I would set up a coffee shop, a school, mm -hmm. uh, and I would educate, stop throwing trash around. But but that's something for people to do when they're at that, they are at that point in their lives where they want that really, really relaxing lifestyle. They can yeah. go to a place like that and, yeah. and have a big impact. And you're not and ready for that. And feel good about it. Oh, I'm far too young for that. I'm far still am, young and ambitious and on the mission to be a billionaire. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so which, which is a nice bridge to my next question is uh, what's, what's, what's in the future for you? I mean, electric motorbikes or um, cars and motorbikes, planes or something like that? Um, so, for me, as Vietnam, so renting motorbikes is a very great area uh, in terms of how legal it is with licenses. Uh -huh. So, as the government cracks down on it and makes it more by the book, you know, so you have to have a license to drive a bike as a foreigner, for example. Yeah. You're going to go back to the scenario of having real bikers, you know, like uh, if you go on a tour in Australia or, or somewhere in Europe, you'll have to have a license and you have to have a motorbike at home. So you have real bikers on real on real bikes. So we'll start doing that a lot more bigger bikes for less customers but more money. Uh -huh. And then start franchising uh, to different countries where renting a motorbike is a, is a little bit more legal than it is in Vietnam. Uh, so with all the money we're making, uh, I, I invest heavily into online software for fleet management. I believe we probably already have the best. Yeah. But with that, I will now uh, franchise into other countries uh, probably in the following years where I can just sit there and I, I can run motorbike rentals in many different countries at the same time. Cool. Yeah, that's my plan. Okay. 
Sounds pretty good. Sounds pretty cool. Um, yeah. I was thinking, you know, you mentioned about starting this coffee shop. Would any any Western going there uh, be be able to do something like this? I mean, bar all the legal documentation that you might need. Well, that's the beauty of Vietnam. You don't need anything. Uh, you can go anywhere and you can set up your, your street stall on the side of a road and no one's going to stop you. And the foreigners do do it. You can go to some really random places and you'll find there's a pizza shop and it just happens to be a foreigner who's set up a little pizza shop. And, it's, and, so it's, and it, it is successful as well. Oh, yeah. But, well, you know, they don't make huge money, but they live a life and they tend to have a Vietnamese family and, sure. uh, and that's the way they're happy. And, yeah. But before you do that, before actually, uh, I'm talking to the audience here, before actually one of your listeners is going to Vietnam and thinking, hey, I'm going to start this coffee shop. What, um, <laughs> what three tips can you give us, um, John? What three tips can you give us to, to become more culturally competent from your own experience, from your professional experience? <clears throat> so I think um, to be more culturally competent, you got to just relax and understand that what you see is not necessarily better or worse than what you know. Mm -hmm. It's just different. And you can see it on expat forums a lot. People will say, oh, that's not the way we do it at home. Therefore, it's wrong. That's not the case. It's not wrong. It's just different. Yeah. So be understanding of that. And then just be happy and understand that you are lucky to be where you are, wherever that may be. If you're able to travel, you're already one of the luckiest people on this planet. So relax, don't worry too much about money, mm -hmm. and just be happy and know that you're lucky. Sounds like a song almost, don't worry, be happy. Good point. Yeah. Okay. I mean, when I, when, yeah. Uh, third one? Yeah. I would say, so that one was be happy. The third one is don't worry about money. You can always make more. <laughs> Sounds like a, like a, like a true um, uh, Anglo-Saxon uh, entrepreneur statement. Yeah. In, in a way. All right. Well, I'll take, I'll take all those. Relax, be happy, and don't worry too much about money because you can always make more money. That's true. Um, John from, um, what is it, Digit Motorbikes, right? 29 year olds, uh, 20, 29 years old, such a, a vast experience already under your belt. If people want to get in touch with you, how can they do so? Uh, you can email me, john at ticketmotorbikes.com. That's probably the best way to do it. And John is J O N, right? That's correct, yeah. Yeah, so no H there. Jan at digitmotorbikes.com. Uh, yeah. Okay. Excellent. All right, John. Well, thanks for taking the time. Um, it's uh, it's close to 11-ish now, and where you are, 11 p.m.? Uh, well, nearly 10, but yeah, it's oh. getting late. Okay, it's, <laughs> it's getting late, yes. So I'm going to let you go, and thank you so much again for taking the time out of your, uh, I guess, busy schedule to come on, uh, on, on the Culture Matters podcast. And I'm pretty sure we'll bump into each other in the future. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. It was, it was a nice talk. Excellent. Take care, then. Bye-bye. All right, bye. Thanks, John. Again, remember to spell that with J-O-N, not J-O-H-N. So J-O-N only as in Jonathan. Uh, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, please do so now. And while you're at it, why don't you leave a review in iTunes as well. The music is from Ben Sound. You can check it out at bensound.com. My name is Chris Smith. This was the Culture Matters Podcast, and I'll be back in about two weeks' time. That's it for this episode. Culture Matters, making you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences. Your host, Chris Smith, has a plan. A plan for people who are looking for a solution.